This old catch is not fit very good anymore. Either my hands are getting bigger or the gloves getting smaller. Which is it? I don't know. Both strength. No, I don't. I don't think so, Tom. I don't think so. So when I was, I don't know, 10, 11 years old and playing in Little League, I was always big for my age. I was the tallest kid in my class until the last half of sixth grade. I was always one of the biggest kids in the class, at least the tallest. And so because of that, I was kind of thrust into being the catcher on my Little League baseball team. And I learned to love catching. I learned to love, I was in charge on the baseball diamond, Tom. Because I was, you know, even at 10 or 11, the catcher was kind of the field manager. And it was kind of cool. Kind of being, I could see the whole field and everything that was going on. And so catching became a part of, of my, my childhood, my Little League career. And I remember well, one day my father said to me, you know, our mailman is a catcher. And I said, really? And Red Mears was our mailman. And my dad knew Red because my dad was a mailman. And they both carried mail together. And so my dad said, you know, Red is a catcher. And so when I found this out, I went and got my catcher's glove. And when Red came by that next day delivering our mail... I went out and followed him on his mail route. And he taught me about being a catcher. Red was a catcher for a professional softball team in Long Beach called the Nighthawks. And so Red was a catcher and knew all the everything he needed to know about being a catcher. And I remember one of the things that Red taught me was how to protect my meat hand. How many of you know what the meat hand is? the hand without the glove. And so what often happens to catchers when the pitch is coming is if this hand gets in the way, you can break fingers and do all kinds of unhealthy things to that hand. And so Fred Fred taught me to hide my meat hand where the ball could not hit it. And if you watch baseball, you notice different catchers hide that hand in different ways. Um, many catchers are taught to hide the hand behind their back. And so when they're catching, the hand is behind their back, out of the way of any ball. Other catchers put their hand behind their thigh, again, out of the way of the ball, uh, to protect it. Well, Red taught me that you can do that. You can put your hand behind your back. You can put your hand behind your thigh. But if a runner is stealing second base, and you're down here, and your hand is behind the ball, that's about as far away as your hand can get from the ball when it hits your glove. And if you're going to throw a runner out of second base, you want your hand closer to the ball. So what is the safest place your hand could be out of the way of the ball and still be protected? Very good, behind the glove. And so Red taught me not to put my hand behind my back, not to put my hand behind my thigh, but to put it behind the glove. So I followed Red, and this became something that I did frequently. I would follow Red, and we would have conversations about catching. Red taught me how to catch because I followed him in the neighborhood. This morning as we come to Mark chapter 1, What I want you to discover is that Jesus wants us to follow him. Just like his disciples were called to come and follow after him. 
He has far more important things to teach us than how to catch a baseball and how to throw out a runner at second base, right? Far more important things to teach us. And so I want you to come again with me this morning to Mark chapter 1. And I want you to notice how Jesus calls his disciples to come and follow him. And as he calls his disciples to come and follow him, the message here for you and me is he's calling you and me to follow him as well. And so in Mark chapter 1, we discover in verse 16, as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will have you become fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and went away to follow him. Now, to capture this portion of scripture in context, you need to go back to John chapter 1. And discover in John chapter 1 a prior meeting that Jesus had with these disciples that happened before this event. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist has his ministry still going on. John the Baptist has disciples following him, right? And among those disciples are two guys, Andrew and John. Names we just saw in Mark chapter 1. And so in verse 35 of John chapter 1, in the midst of John the Baptist's ministry, he's just pointed out Jesus in the verses prior to this as the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In verse 35 of John 1, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ, and brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets, and also wrote Jesus, the son of Joseph, Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good be from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And if we keep reading, we read about the conversation with Nathanael. And so Jesus calls us first to faith. The first call in your life and my life is the call of faith. And it's fascinating to me as you see Andrew and John engaged in conversation with Jesus. How Andrew makes this progression of understanding, if you will, where John the Baptist has said, the Lamb of God, 
And then he recognizes Jesus and calls him by the word rabbi, teacher. And when he goes and talks to his brother Peter, what does he say about Jesus to Peter? We have found the, the Christ, the Messiah. And so Andrew is making this progression rather quickly of understanding, coming to faith that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah, the promised deliverer. And as I look at this passage, I see Andrew, and maybe bringing John along with it, I see Andrew moving from interest in who this guy is, to curiosity, rabbi, teacher, to finally embracing and coming to the conviction that Jesus is that promised Messiah. Jesus' first call is always a call to faith. And who he is. It's all based on who he is. The call to faith. Have you answered that call this morning? Have you understood that call? Who Jesus is? Have you come to the understanding and come to the conviction that Jesus is the promised deliverer, the promised Messiah? Have you come to the conviction that Jesus is God in human flesh? That promised Redeemer, that promised Messiah. Andrew made that progression really quickly. Have you discovered it doesn't often happen that fast? It very seldom seems to happen that That just seems amazingly fast to me. I don't know what the story of, of your journey is. I know in my own life, the difference between initial understanding about Jesus as a child... And finally, in my middle school years, coming to fully grasp and understand the truth about Jesus and committing myself to who He is and what that difference ought to make in my life. Jesus calls each of us, first of all, with a call to faith. And I see that so clearly, especially in in John chapter 1, in this account, that we are called to faith. And there's a little little three-word phrase that's used in John's Gospel that I like a lot. It's the phrase, come and see. Come and see. For Andrew, when he asked Jesus, where are you staying? And Jesus said to Andrew, come and see. Later in that passage, when Philip has this conversation. Again, it's come and see. And for you and me, we've, hopefully each one of us have made that come and see experience, right? We've come to see Jesus, we've come to understand who He is, and we've embraced Him as Savior. We've come by faith. And that's the same journey. It's the same journey that we need to invite others to take in their lives. Come and see. I find in my own experience with people that have yet to come to faith, I frequently encourage them, come to this book, come to John's Gospel, read this portion of the Bible. Just one book, John's Gospel, with an open heart to what God wants you to see and hear. Come and see. The first call in your life and my life and our first call in the lives of others is to be the call to faith based on who Jesus is. 
The second thing that impresses me as I reflect on this passage of Scripture is that there's a second call in your life and my life that Jesus not only is calling us to faith, but He's calling us to follow. He's calling us to come after Him, to be with Him. Just as I walked alongside of Red Mears as he walked his mail route and had conversation with him and talked with him and learned about how to be a catcher, Jesus invites you and me to follow after him, to come after him. And the first thing that strikes me, there's two things that strike me here. One is Jesus' call of these disciples. And then the second thing that fascinates me is their immediate response. When Jesus says, follow me, what did they do? They called together a study committee, a focus group, and they taught him. He says immediately they followed him. And so the first thing that strikes me is, he, he calls these men to follow him. Now if you were going to launch a significant effort of any kind, a business effort, any kind of an effort, you were going to... Choose people to come along and be the core foundation of that organization. What kind of people would you choose? Would you choose simple, uneducated, untrained guys like fishermen to be the foundation and the base of... You know, Jesus' Jesus' call didn't come to people in positions of power and authority. He didn't call the the governor. He didn't call the high priest. He called what? Fishermen. And I was reminded as I was reflecting on this that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen what? The weak and the foolish things of the world. I qualify for that, don't you? (laughs) You know, if he's looking for a wise and mighty and noble, uh, that's not me. But he chooses the the weak, the not so wise, to follow. And so he calls these men to follow him. Just as he calls you and me, come along, come behind, follow along. Here we go. The second thing that impresses me here is not only Jesus' call of these men to follow him, but they're immediately responding to obey, to follow, to come along behind him. I don't know if you've ever thought about what that meant for them to leave. They left behind their families. They left behind their livelihood, their source of income and support. They left behind really everything that they had known. And if I, if I see the picture in my mind correctly, here they are, James and John are leaving to follow Jesus, and they're leaving Dad behind. They didn't know where they were going. Jesus did, right? Where was Jesus going, by the way? There you go. That was a quick answer. Who was, who was that? So right on the cue. He, he was on his way to the cross. Did they know that? They didn't have a clue. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And off they go. Leaving all of that behind. Not knowing where they were going, what they were doing. Not knowing what they would eat, where they would sleep. I mean, they knew nothing. But immediately they followed him. (laughs) Several months ago, my friend Don 
announced to me that we were going to go on this three three week bike tour in uh, October. Have I mentioned that by the way? That new pastor is going to be here in September. And I'm going to be gone. Um, so my friend Don starts talking to me about this this bike tour we're going to do, and uh, you know it's the Great Allegheny Passage, and and so I have all these questions for Don. So when are we going to do this? How long are we going to be gone? Where will we sleep? What will we do for food? I have all these questions before I commit to this journey. And I read this passage and I go, you know, these guys, they didn't seem to be concerned about any of that stuff. They're just ready to go to follow Jesus. By the way, do you have my cartoon? Did you hide that cartoon for me, David? So, here's... I love Beetle Bailey. Any Beetle Bailey fans in the house? I love Beetle Bailey. So, here's the Sarge with uh, Zero. And he says, Zero, stop following me around. But you said to follow you. I meant to follow my orders. Now get lost. (laughs) I saw this cartoon and I thought, you know... We misunderstand what Jesus meant when he said follow. Because what Jesus meant when he said follow was what? Do what? Follow. Do, do what I tell you. Follow my orders. And uh, that's, what, that's what was going on here. Follow. Obey. Come and step behind me. Walk with me. By the way, we just sang that song, that new song about Jesus being in the fire and in the sea and so on. Any passage of scripture come to mind as you were singing that song about never being alone, never being alone? Are there any scriptures that kind of come alongside of that and stand out in your mind? I will never leave you or forsake you. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, I found myself thinking of those passages. Walking with Jesus. He's going to be there. He's going to be there in the good times, right? Right? He's going to be there in the amazing great times, right? But he's also going to be there in the down times, the tough times. You know, for those of you who experienced a little bit of that virus that's been going around, you know, was Jesus with you when you went through that? Absolutely. We have families in our church that have lost loved ones in the last two months. Has Jesus been with them during this time? Sure has. And so this thing of following after Jesus, obeying Jesus, doing what he wants us to do. Um, One of my dear, dear friends in the Long Beach Church, uh, Meredith Harmonson, always led the four-year-olds. She was in charge of our four-year-old department forever. And in fact, one of my first ministry experiences was with four-year-olds. And it was probably one of the most fun times of my life, being with four-year-olds. Um, I remember wearing a tie and then climbing up my tie. I have all kinds of great memories of four-year-olds. Four-year-olds don't yet know that you don't know everything. You know, once they turn five, that kind of changes, right, Maggie? Get in kindergarten, everything changes. You don't know as much anymore. But I remember Meredith had a little song that she sang with the four-year-olds. And the song went like this. Whatever Jesus says is the best thing to do. So I will do it cheerfully and quickly too. Is that good? Whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus says is the best thing to do. So I will do it cheerfully and quickly too. 
We don't always respond that way to Jesus, do we? Do we always respond quickly? Or do we have questions? Where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to eat? What, where, where are we going? What's, what's going on? Responding immediately. Jesus calls us first to faith based on who he is. And then he calls us to follow after him based on where he's going. And as someone back in that area over there quickly said, he's headed to the cross. And then we're going to see this passage, it'll be several weeks, hopefully before September, um, where Jesus says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, a lot of people misunderstand what that verse is saying. I hear people talk all the time about having this cross they have to bear. And there's some, there's some struggles, some hardships, some difficult time in their life. And that's the cross they have to bear. Jesus isn't talking about dragging around some burden that you've been saddled with. And that's your cross. The cross always means one thing. The cross always means one thing. Crosses are intended to do one thing. Crosses are not intended to be carried around. Crosses are intended to be hung upon. Crosses are all about death. And when Jesus says to his disciples, and ultimately to you and to me, to come after him, take up our cross and follow him, it's it's a, a willingness and a preparation to follow Jesus ultimately to the end, to death. That's why the example of Peter becomes so critical when Peter says to Jesus, that last night as they shared what we call the Last Supper. And Peter says, hey, even though everybody else deserts you, I'm in to the end. Even if it means death, I'm with you to the end. Peter understood. But as the scripture says, or as Jesus says, the spirit is willing to what? The flesh is weak. And so Jesus is headed to the cross. He calls his disciples to follow him. And he calls you and me first to faith and then to follow and I wrote, I wrote a note to myself, never forget where Jesus was going. Because he's going to the cross. And that's as we follow, and our commitment to him is, is the same. Even to a cross. He calls me first to faith. He calls us then to follow. And then he calls us to fish. Based on what he is doing. He calls us to be fishers of men, fishers of women, fishers of boys, fishers of girls. And as someone has said, if you're not fishing, you're not following. He calls us first first to faith, then to follow, and then to fish. What's Jesus' job in this passage, by the way? What's Jesus commit himself to doing in Mark chapter 1? Come after me and I will do what? What's it saying? Make you fishers of... That's Jesus' job, to make us fishers of men. By the way, the language of the New Testament implies he's making us something we have not been before. There's change taking place. We are going to become something we were not. We're going to become fishers of men. Jesus' job is to make us to become fishers of men. What's our job? Fish. Be fishers of men. Our job, what he calls us to do, is to be fishers of men. To care about the souls of men and women, boys and girls. 
and to be actively engaged in sharing the gospel with others. Casting seed, if you will, being fishers of men. That's supposed to be my priority as a follower of Jesus, to be fishing. That's to be my priority as a follower of Jesus. It's to be a priority for me as a pastor. It's to be a priority for me as a member of this congregation and this family. Jesus calls us to fish. And if I understand this book, it's right to say, if I'm not fishing, I'm not following. It must continue to be a priority in our church to be fishing. And one of the things that that continues to trouble me in this COVID world is that there are so many limitations on what we feel we are able to do and not do, what we can comfortably engage in and not engage in. We started this morning sending our kids back to class for the first time in a year, feeling it's comfortable to do that. I wish we could have done that months ago. But our comfort level is such. And I think of some of the things that we've been engaged in as a church in terms of evangelism. I am I'm ready to return to Boyle Heights. Anybody else ready to return to Boyle Heights? I'm ready for us to re-engage in our Heights of Grace ministry. I'm ready. We don't have to tell Governor Newsom what we're doing. Keep it under wraps. It's okay. But I'm ready. I'm ready. Where'd Ron go? I saw his face back there a minute ago. I told him next time, next time he goes, I want to go with him. I'm ready. I want to go back. I'm ready to re-engage with our elementary schools. I heard a rumor that they're going to go back to school soon in classes, right? Is that rumor true? Yeah. The 29th. I'm ready. You know, you guys go back to 12. You know, we were actively engaged in significant strategic ministry with our good news clubs in these two elementary schools. Significant ministry. And shut down. I'm ready to go back. By the way, I heard a rumor. You know how rumors are, right? But I heard a rumor that the principal over here at B.B. Johnson, Johnson, I heard a rumor that the principal over there, when they return to school on the 12th, that all of the drinking fountains are going to be turned off because they don't want kids getting the cooties from the drinking fountains, right? So all the drinking fountains are going to be turned off. And so the rumor I heard was that the principal is asking people to bring bottles of water. Huh. What? I wonder what would happen if there just happened to be a church within three or four blocks of that school. And what would happen if that church that just happened to be a few blocks away from that school, I wonder what would happen if each of the families in that church would buy a couple of cases of those small bottles of water. And I wonder what would happen if, if we showed up at that school with, you know, a pickup truck full of bottles of water. I wonder what... Nah, that would never happen. <laughs> Could that happen? You got two trucks we can fill with water? There you go. There's other we could fill a bunch of trucks. 
I just think that would be so cool to show up on the first day of school with a pickup truck full of bottles of water. Would that be cool? It wouldn't be the first time that someone in this church family was significantly and strategically impacted by a bottle of water. There's at least one of you sitting there looking at me right now that came to this church for the very first time because of a bottle of water that was placed in his hand. Just a thought, just an idea, something I've been thinking about this week. Where was I before I went off on that tangent? So, Boyle Heights Ministry, our local schools, we got a significant homeless property, a population on the riverbed right there, 0.67 miles from where I'm standing right now. How does Roy know it's 0.67 miles from here to the river trail? That, that's amazing that he knows that. But that, that river, I was riding my bike there on the river trail yesterday, and I was riding north, riding through that whole encampment up there under, I don't know, the under Firestone. I'm not sure which underpass. But um, And if you've been on the freeway here to get on the 105 in that carpool lane, that whole side of the freeway is just filled. I don't know how they have more room. Filled up. <laughs> Ministry opportunities are all around us to be fishing, to casting seeds. If we're not fishing, we're not following. And so I had this little chart I want to show you that I made. It may be too small, I'm not sure. But Jesus chooses men and women to follow him. And obviously he chooses people who lack spiritual depth. They lack a sympathetic spirit. They lack humility. They lack a forgiving spirit. They lack persevering prayer. They lack confidence and courage. How do I know that Jesus calls those kind of people to follow him? Yeah, look at the disciples. Do they kind of measure up to that list? Maybe you might honestly say, yeah, some of that stuff in that column kind of speaks into my life. I lack some things too. Jesus calls the unqualified. (laughs) What a surprise. Jesus calls the unqualified. And so he's looking for people who maybe lack these kinds of things, but I always like to say Jesus looks for people that are fat. People that are faithful people that are available, and people that are teachable. That's what Jesus is looking for. He doesn't care what kind of job or career you have. He doesn't care how much money you have in the bank. He doesn't care what kind of car you drive or what neighborhood you live in. Jesus is looking for people that are faithful, available, and teachable. And with all the lacks that we have in our lives... We feel that we lack spiritual knowledge. We lack Bible knowledge. We lack, lack, lack. We're deficient. Jesus says, I'm your example. Do what? Follow me. Jesus says, I'll be your encourager. Listen to me. He says, I'll be your exhorter. Respond to the challenge I place before you. What Jesus is looking for in those who follow him is people who will... Listen to him and do what he says. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. Where you're going in your life depends on who or what you're following. So what is it that you're following this morning? 
What is it that's the pursuit of your life? What is it that you find yourself drawn to in your following? Our culture tells us, follow after success. Follow after money. Follow up after fame, fortune. Follow all these things. Jesus says, follow what? Follow me, follow him. One of the things that sets our Christian faith apart, by the way, is we're not following a philosophy. We don't follow a theology. We don't follow uh, ideas, principles. We follow Jesus. We follow a person. That's what it's all about. That's why this year our whole theme is following Jesus. Get to know Him better. Drop closer to Jesus. And that's why I've given you this crazy challenge. Read through the Gospels every month. Read three chapters every day. Through the month, you make it through all all four Gospels. Let's follow Jesus more closely. What are you following? Do you remember the story of Elijah at Mount Carmel? And the great contest between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that story? And the whole conversation of, okay, we're going to build this altar, we're going to have this sacrifice, and you guys call on your gods to send fire to consume your sacrifice, and, and I'll call on my God. You guys go first. And you know the story. Nothing. And so Elijah, it's his turn, and he's, they're pouring buckets and buckets and buckets of water over his sacrifice, and he stands back and says, your turn. And Elijah says... <laughs> If God be God, or if Baal be God, follow Him. If God be God, follow Him. Pretty obvious who needs to be followed, right? And I've always admired Joshua, that final challenge he gave to the children of Israel. He says, as for me and my house, we will do what? We'll serve the Lord. We'll follow the Lord. We'll serve Him. That needs to be our spirit. Jesus has called us to faith. He's called us to follow. He's called us to fish. If you're not fishing, you're not following. Don't be distracted by other stuff. Imagine driving through the drive-thru at Kentucky Fried Chicken. Imagine driving through and coming to the speaker where you're going to place your order and we want a bucket of white meat chicken. I'm sorry, sir. We're all out of white meat chicken. Okay, I want a bucket of dark meat chicken. I'm sorry, sir. We're all out of dark meat chicken. Uh, what do you have? We have mashed potatoes and gravy. We have corn on the cob. We have mac and cheese. Mac and cheese. <laughs> Never settle for side dishes. Always focus on the main dish. And the main dish isn't white meat and dark meat. The main dish is what? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be fishing. Be fishing. Be fishing. Lord, help us as a church. Help us as individuals to always stay focused on the main thing. Guard us, Lord, from being distracted by other stuff, the side dishes. Keep us focused 
on following you. Keep us focused on hearing your voice. Keep us focused on doing what you tell us to do. And Lord, you have a plan for us. You have a plan for us going forward, when and how and where we need to return to Boyle Heights. You have a plan for that for us. We're listening. Lord, we have elementary schools right in our neighborhood that we've served in the past. We're eager and anxious to serve again. We're ready. Lord, speak. Help us to hear your voice and do what you tell us to do. Lord, I think of all these folks on the, on the riverbed, opportunities there. Give us boldness to engage this community. To find places of opportunity where we can be fishing, where seed can be cast. Lord, help us to see this personally, individually. Help us to see this as a church family. Lord, don't let us get distracted by other stuff. Don't let us be encumbered and burdened with all this COVID stuff. Lord, help us to be responsive. When and where and how you want to use us to fish. Lord, help us to fish until the nets are full. Help us to fish until the nets are full. Empower and enable and strengthen us. Our commitment, Lord, is simple this morning. We're going to follow you wherever you lead. We're going to follow you wherever you lead. Help us to do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus is calling. He calls us first to faith. Have you responded to that call? Have you acknowledged to the Savior your need of forgiveness? Jesus is calling. Follow me. Have you responded to that call? Follow Jesus. Jesus is calling us to fish. As you walk out these doors this morning, you go into a world that needs to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about a Savior. They need to hear about one who delivers from fear and anxiety and all the struggles and challenges of life. And most of all, to hear that there's a Savior from sin. The offer of forgiveness. We're not fishing, we're not following, right? Right. All right. So I want you to have a great week. Ask God who it is in your circle this week. He wants you to cast the net out just a little further. At work, your neighborhood, your family, I don't know. Ask Jesus where he wants you to be fishing this week. And then do what he tells you to do. Have a great week. Thank you.